our, our series that I started a couple of weeks ago in regards to why does pain, why does, why, why does suffering, why do bad things happen to people? And if you missed week one, it was two weeks ago, you can check it out on the MyFam Church app. But uh, just as a little review of where we, uh, where we went that week, we started off with the story... We started looking at the uh, events of David and Goliath in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And, and uh, where we started off was we saw that there was two armies on two hills. We had the army of the Israelites standing on their hill. And we had the army of the Philistines standing on their hill. And in between them was a valley where no one went. And what we saw from this, what we saw from this picture that this chapter started off with was that there are two hills in this world, okay? We have the hill where God's people, where God's army stands, and we have the hill where God's enemies are at, where God's, uh, those who are opposed to God are at. And what we also saw was that there is a valley in between, however, nobody is in the valley. There's no such thing as chilling, hanging out in the valley, not taking sides in this conflict, because either you are for God or you are against God. There's no other options that are out there and available in this world. And what, what we learned from that was that sometimes pain, sometimes suffering, sometimes bad things happen to us because of which hill we find ourselves standing on. Because sometimes we think we're just hanging out in the valley, not taking sides, or sometimes, we, without even knowing it, we are standing on the hill of the enemies of God, and we're getting assaulted and attacked and tore up because of it. And what we saw was the antidote to that was in order to move from the hill of the enemies of God to the hill, God's hill, was to give our lives to Jesus. And if we had made the decision to give our lives to Jesus, to submit to his lordship, he would move us from that hill to that hill. And in doing that, it would remove some of those things that we go through in life, some of the pain and the suffering that we go through because we're standing on the wrong hill. We're standing on the hill of the enemies of God. And that was our first week. And so we're going to transition this morning and, and, and to look at why is there pain and hurt and suffering with those who are on God's hill? And what you have to know is that this is going to be several weeks, and so it's going to take a few weeks to develop all of this fully, so don't leave here going, that didn't answer my question. We're going to start with a piece of the question today. And so to start off with this morning, I want to show you a picture. Boy, that's a terrible, you can't even say, that's me actually, if you could, uh, if, if my face wasn't washed out. That was me when I was 18 years old. A group of friends and I were in the woods at a hunting shack. That was a neon pink shirt that didn't come out very well either. But uh, we were out there, we were having a crazy weekend in the woods hanging out. And it was a snapshot, it's a moment of time, it's a picture in my life. But let's say I were to tell you, well, you know what? That picture isn't just a snapshot of a moment in time, but that's actually a picture that defines my whole year of 1987. If I were to say that to you, what information could you glean from me from that picture? Is there anything that you could conclude from the year 1987 from that one picture? That's an interesting take. I don't know how you got that. I had long hair. I lifted weights. I did not lift weights. All right. So let's say that I could, let's say I said, well, this defines me for the next 10 years of my life. Would you be able to get any real information about who I was, 
what I was doing, what my life was about, or anything from that picture for 10 years. No, you cannot get any information out of this because this is just a snapshot. This is a picture. This is a moment in time that was frozen. But here's the deal. Many people allow a snapshot, a picture, a moment in time for them, from their past to define who they are now in the current. It could be something they deeply regret. It could be something they don't want people to know that's something that's happened to them. It's a snapshot of a little part of our life and suddenly it has become the definition of who we are. Whatever it is, we allow that snapshot to define our lives. And there are some here this morning that have something from your past that is defining you right now and it's causing pain, it's causing hurt and regret in your life. Because here's what we do. Many people think that when they they give their lives to Jesus and they walk through the doors of a church and they start going to church all of the time, that suddenly everything just becomes wonderful and amazing and incredible in your life. Suddenly there are no problems, there are no conflicts, there are no issues. Well, one, that's not true, that's never true. But there's something else that we need to know when we come out uh, of a previous life, when we come out of a life where we have a background. And to to talk about this, I want to go to John chapter 11 really quickly. It's not our main text this morning, and so you don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen behind me. But it's a story of Lazarus, and uh, many of us have heard the story of Lazarus. It's about, you know, he was, he, was, he was sick. They called for Jesus, and they said, Jesus, your boy Lazarus is sick. You need to come here, and you need to heal him. And Jesus says, ah, he just hung out where he was at. Uh, Lazarus dies. They bury him in a tomb. Jesus shows up after he's dead. And uh, And so Jesus gets there, and everybody's a little bit frustrated and ticked off because they're like, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have saved his life. Well, here's what happens. Jesus says, you know what? I can still save his life. I can do it anyway, even though he's dead. And this is what it says in John chapter 11, verses 41 through 44. It says, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, when Lazarus comes out of the tomb, he still has the grave clothes on him. He is still marked by the place that he came from. He is still defined by his death. That snapshot of his life is still defining who he is. So Jesus tells other people to go and take the grave clothes off of him. Help him remove the grave clothes. You see, just because Lazarus was back alive didn't mean that the grave clothes just fell off of him. And for some of us, we belong to Jesus. We've given our lives to Jesus and we're following him, but we still live a life trapped by something that's happened in our past. We still live a life um, that, that, that doesn't allow us to live in the freedom that we think and we know that we should have. But Jesus wants us to walk in new life because that's what he's created us and given us life for, is for freedom. And so let's head over to the verses that we're going to look at this morning. We're still in 1 Samuel. We're going to be reading in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 4 through 11. And once again, 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament, the ninth book in. If you can't find it or don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. This is what it says 
in 1 Samuel 17. It says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the other Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So here we are. It's finally time for these two sides to go to war. Okay, they, they choose a method of warfare, which is picking a representative from each side to go out and fight. And that's kind of, they did this sometimes back then. We don't do that now, but, but they did it back then. And, then, and whoever won the battle between the two dudes was going to end up winning the war, was going to end up winning the fight uh, for their army. And uh, of course, the Philistines wanted the battle to go down like this. Why? Because they had Goliath, right? I mean, the guy was absolutely huge. He was a monster. He was like uh, Andre the Giant, only bigger. You guys all remember Andre the Giant, I hope? Yes? Come on. All right. And so they want, I mean, think about this. His armor alone weighed 125 pounds. That's a whole lot of heavy armor. I mean, that's almost as much as I weigh. Uh, He had a spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. Imagine a spearhead weighing 15 pounds hitting you. What would that do to your body? I mean, that would absolutely destroy you. It would slice through you, break everything. You'd be a hot mess, okay? And this dude was over nine feet tall. The Masoretic text, which is the Bible that the Jews use, says he was nine feet, nine inches tall. And I tried to get a picture of this for you, but uh, we struggled with a, with a proper height picture because I didn't want to have any youth standing on another youth's shoulders on the stage because I figured that might be dangerous. And we got to keep our liability insurance in check. Amen. But so I'm 6'1", and so picture something three feet, eight inches taller than me, okay? Standing up there, ready to go to battle. And if you think of me, like these columns here are eight feet. And so if you add another foot and a half onto that, so that's pretty tall. But up against me, maybe it doesn't look as tall. But see, the men back then, they were only about five feet tall. And so these, this Goliath was almost twice their height. This guy was huge. And not only was he huge, but he could talk a lot of trash, okay? He could run his mouth. If you're an NBA fan, he was the Draymond Green. (laughs) He was the Draymond Green of the ancient world. So what was Israel's response to this intimidating, trash-talking giant? It says that they ran and and they hid. It says in verse, uh, in verse 24 of chapter 17, it says, Every time the giant came out, talked trash, and challenged them to a fight, the Israelites, they ran and they hid. See, Goliath dominated their thought life. He be- they became obsessed with this giant, and he began to rule everything about them. 
Every time he would come out and shout at them, they would run and hide. It didn't matter where they were, what they were doing, what was going on. They would run and they would hide. They were on God's hill. They were in God's army. They were God's people. And yet here they are. Every time this giant comes out, they ran and they hid. They became obsessed with this enemy and they allowed the enemy, this snapshot, this picture, this moment in time, tell them who they were rather than listening to the God of the universe tell them who they were and the deal is we do the same thing we let snapshots events we let the past define us and our life instead of God see the Israelites couldn't live up to the freedom that they were entitled to as being on God's hill because they listened to the voice of that giant that came out and spoke each and every single day when they gathered together and many of us do the exact same thing with the enemy in our lives he'll come out and he tell us he'll tell us we're no good he'll tell us we're not worthy he'll tell us that the things that are there from our past are too much and that God cannot love us because of the things that have happened because of the things that we've done because of the person that we are and it keeps us walking constantly in pain and hurt from that event in our life over and over again and so there's three things I want you to know this morning and the first is this if you've given your life to Jesus like we talked about two weeks ago you are completely forgiven of your past And it's hard for us to understand this because we struggle with forgiving people who've done things to us, right? I mean, I remember when uh, from the time I was in kindergarten until the time I was in eighth grade, there was this kid in my neighborhood named Jason. And Jason and I always got into fights. I mean, fist fights. We're not talking this kind of drama fighting that goes on these days. It was like we saw each other and it was going down, okay? Well, and so in eighth grade, we're in Woodshop in middle school, and we're, we're, we're working on projects, and we'd had a conversation about something. I don't even remember what the conversation was about. Well, he gets so mad at me, he decides he's going to get me back. And so he takes this piece of oak that he was working on, and he goes to a spindle sander, and it's just a sander that kind of goes up and down and spins, and he just pressed this piece of oak against the, wood, wood, uh, or against the spindle sander. And uh, oak is hard, and so it gets hot when you're, t- and so he grabbed that piece of wood then and came and laid it across my arm. I got a third-degree burn all the way across my arm because of that. So, you know, I think I can forgive Jason for that. You know, if I were to see him on the side of the road changing a tire on his car, I'd help him out. I'd just drive right over the top of him and help him meet Jesus. You know what I'm saying? But that's how we are, right? We struggle with forgiving People. And then we look at God and we say, well, God is our heavenly father. And, and, and so if I struggle with it, God must struggle with forgiving me for the things that I've done. And so we look in our past, we look at the things that we've done, we look at that snapshot, and we think to ourselves, God is just sitting up there and he's just shaking his head and saying, man, I wish you wouldn't have done that. I wish you wouldn't have gotten involved in that. I wish that wouldn't have happened to you because if it wouldn't have happened to you, we could have so much better a relationship. But because of that thing in your past, it just can't happen. But can I tell you, that with God, that's not the case. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. 
You see, if we have crossed from one hill to the other, if we've gone from this hill of the enemies of God and made it over to the hill of God, guess what? That snapshot that used to define us, that pain, that hurt, that problem, did not go over with us. Whatever it is, God has forgiven it. God has cleansed us of it. God has washed us of it. And it is no longer something that we have to carry and hold on to. God has said he has completely wiped it out. And there's nothing anyone can do to change that. It's gone Jesus has eliminated it. He's destroyed it. Whatever it is that's trying to define you from your past, you are completely forgiven. You are completely new. And there's nothing anyone or anything can do to change that. The second thing that I want you to know is that you are not only forgiven, but you are chosen and very valuable. We understand value in here, I think. Um, You know, we've got things in our life that are valuable. I You think of your social security card, Um, it's a very valuable uh, number. Um, I remember a few years ago on the news, a story of a a lady who, uh, uh, somebody had gotten a hold of her social security number. And so she totally took on this lady's ID. She went out and committed all kinds of crimes in this lady's name. So this lady one day was driving someplace and she got pulled over by the cops for speeding, right? And so they run her name and she comes up with all of these warrants for her arrest. She hadn't committed the crime, but there were all these warrants for her arrest. And so they arrest her. It literally took her lawyer two months to get her out of jail to sort out this whole mess. And now that lady has to carry a letter with her everywhere she goes, stating that she is not the person that's wanted on all those outstanding warrants in case she gets pulled over again, because if she gets pulled over again, the same process will start all over again. See, our social security number is a very valuable number. Just like our social security number, we are very valuable to God. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and then verse 11. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then verse 11, in him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God chose us because we're extremely valuable. But it's an incredibly high price. I mean, the highest paid player in the NFL this season is Joe Flacco. He's a quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. He's going to make $24.5 million to play 17 football games. That's a whole lot of money, isn't it? And some of you are saying, I wish somebody saw me as valuable as giving me $24.5 million for 17 weeks, right? But see, God gave his son. He gave his son to die for you. He allowed his son to be beaten. He allowed his son to be whipped, to be hung on a cross, to die, to go in the grave, and three days later, to rise again for you. See, that's how valuable you are. Because $24 million may give you a great life here and now, 
But once you move beyond this life into the next, that $24.5 million isn't going to do you any good at all. The only thing that's going to do you good is the price that Jesus paid for you. But he paid it because you are valuable. You have incredible value. You have incredible worth in him and in his eyes. And then finally, we're unconditionally loved. There's an event in uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 43, and uh, it's the story of Jesus and uh, some lepers. And uh, what happens is uh, Jesus is, uh, is going down the street, and some lepers see Jesus walking down the street, and so they're like, man, this is our opportunity. That boy heals people. I need him to come and heal me. And so they start calling out to Jesus, you know, hey, Jesus, come over here, touch us, heal us. So what does Jesus do? Jesus walks over to them, puts his hand on them, and prays for them. And they're healed. You may be saying, so? He put his hand on them. That's the key thing in this verse. Because see, lepers at that time were the outcasts of the outcasts from society. They didn't have a treatment for that disease. It was spread by touching the disease. And so people didn't want to touch a leper. They were considered unclean. And literally they had to walk around screaming and yelling unclean whenever they were out in public because they didn't want anyone to accidentally touch the leper. That's the kind of life they lived, and they didn't have much human contact. They didn't have anyone coming up to them and touching them, coming up to them and putting their hands on them. Some of these people who'd had leprosy for a long time hadn't been touched in years, some of them decades, and that's the life they lived. But then along comes Jesus, and Jesus puts his hands on them, and he touches them, and he heals them. The point that he was trying to make is this. Jesus is not afraid of how nasty, of how dirty, of how unclean, of how much junk you've gotten yourself into in your past. It doesn't scare him. He doesn't have fear over it. But instead, he looks at it and he says, come and let me take care of that. See, he loves us so much that he will let nothing keep us from him, not even death, because we are unconditionally loved. But beyond that, there's something even deeper to this story, and it's this. You see, we are the lepers in this story. Because what we have to know, and I know that this isn't politically correct to say, but before Jesus, none of us were lovable. None of us in this room did Jesus look at and go, okay, well, they're kind of awesome. Jesus looked at each one of us and said, man, they're not lovable, but I'm going to do something like that. I'm going to do something about that. And so he sent his son to die. And I know that this is another struggle that we face in understanding just how much God loves us because sometimes we're hard to love, right? 
We know people who are really hard to love. It's like you try to love them in every turn, at every corner, every place they come to. It seems like they're doing things that make you say, you know what? I cannot love them. That's not how God looks at us. Parents in the room, have you ever had your kids tell you that they don't love you? How many of you said, all right, cool, I'll see you later, and just walked away, and that was the last time you saw your child? Anyone do that? Never found anyone that's ever done that, ever. Why? Because they're our children, and we love them. And if we're not going to walk away from our kids, if we're not going to walk away from our children, Do you think God is going to walk away from us and just say, you know what, because of the past, because of the stuff, because of the junk that you have there, I don't have time for you. I don't have time for you or anything. No. Jesus is the one who's standing there no matter what portraits we have in our past, no matter what things that we've got going on, they're standing there, he's standing there and he's saying, come back to me. Come back to me. Because there's nothing in our past that can get in the way of his love for us. And so here's the deal. Some of us, in order to get past the things that are causing us pain and suffering in our life right now, we've got to move past our past. We've got to be able to step into the presence of God and say, you know what, God? This snapshot, this picture, this thing that I am is not going to define me any longer. It's not going to be the thing that I look back and I say, there it is, it's still standing there, it's still lurking, it's still holding on. But instead, Jesus wants us to bring that to him, allow him to completely forgive, to completely remove, to completely destroy whatever it is that's holding on to our lives so that we can be free.